All right. Um, let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll go to verse 15. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. Really, not very long of a text to read tonight, but we've been talking about the armor of God. Matter of fact, I'll probably just have you back on up uh, to verse 13. We'll read down to verse 15. But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, Paul says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. It says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins skirt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And then in verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want us to bow in prayer, and then we'll jump right into the message tonight. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for the time that we have to open your word. God, I pray that you'll use your word tonight. Lord, I know that in me dwells no good thing. God, I know that my word and my opinions don't matter. They can't change lives. But I know that you can and your word can. God, I pray that your spirit will use your word tonight. That you will make this to register into our hearts. Lord, help us respond obediently. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, I want you to um, uh, just kind of bear with me for a second as I, I kind of go back and uh, remind you of some of the things we've looked at in Ephesians chapter 6, but basically what we've looked at over the past couple weeks is that Paul has been telling Christians to stand against the wiles of the devil by putting on the armor of God. And the only way that we'll ever be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, as these verses tell us, is in God's strength and in God's might. Please understand this. We, you are in a spiritual battle. We talked about that in the last uh, several messages. But you are in a spiritual battle. But there is no way that you will ever be able to stand against your enemy on your own. Uh, in your own strength, in your own power, or in your own wisdom. Uh, your enemy is smarter than you. He's stronger than you. He has more pull than you do in a lot of ways. But here's what I want to uh, to try to, to bring out as we're looking at the armor of God. As we think about all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ in heavenly places. And, uh, you know, that goes back to the statement I made before. Satan is more powerful than you are. He is wiser than you are. He does have more influence or more pull than you do on your own. But here's what we have to understand. We have to get into our minds as we face this, this spiritual battle that, uh, that we are engaged in uh, because we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And that is to understand that you standing by yourself, you have no authority and no power against your enemy. But here's what we have to understand is that in Christ, in Christ, He has given us all spiritual blessings. And in Christ, you do have authority. And in Christ, you do have some influence and some pull. Because in Christ, that is where our power rests. That is where our authority to do kingdom business on earth uh, is lying. It's in the, the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, on your own, you are defenseless. But in Christ, you can stand. And that is what Paul has been teaching us. That if we're going to stand, if we're in this battle, this spiritual battle that's going on, if we have any hope of standing, then it has to be in his strength, in his mind. 
applied in this, we find in these verses, it has to be in His armor. And that's what we've been looking at over the past several weeks, is the armor of God. Now, if you remember, there are three pieces of armor that we are to be wearing constantly. Three pieces of armor that we are to wear constantly, and three that we take up as needed. And we've looked at the first two that we're to be wearing constantly, and that, of course, is, the, the first of all, the belt of truth, and then the breastplate of righteousness. Now, let me just make a note that the last three, although we said we take those up as needed, the last three are not optional, they're just used differently. And I want you to think about it this way, a soldier always has a sword and a shield with him. You're never going to see a a Roman soldier back in those days. You never, uh, hopefully never see one without a sword and a shield, or or his sword and a shield. That would make him completely vulnerable to any enemy attacks. But he always has those with him, but they're put away for, for the time being until he has to use them, and then he pulls them out for use. But they are always on his person so that they're readily available uh, in the time of use. Well, the first three that we are to put on are the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and then today we're looking at the shoes of peace. And one more note before we go any further on this, uh, the armor of God, is that if you haven't been here for the last couple of messages, is that we want to, uh, I'm trying to take the focus off of us remembering what a guard looked like and all the, the armor and stuff that a guard, would, that a Roman soldier would have worn, And I want us to think more about the spiritual weaponry and spiritual armory that Paul is talking about here. And sometimes we get wrapped up with the the coolness of like the Roman, you know, soldier's garb and everything that he wore, all of his armor and and, uh, weapons, things like that. But here's what I want you to see. This is how you stand against the wiles of the devil is uh, not just with a a belt and with a breastplate and with, uh, as we're going to talk about today, certain shoes that you have on, but you stand against the wiles of Satan, first of all, with truth. There must be truth. You stand against him in righteousness. And you stand against him, of course, as we're going to see tonight, uh, with peace. And that's what I want us to consider this evening as we look at uh, the, the shoes of peace. Now, the first thing I want to do as we jump into our verse here is I want to define peace for a moment. And peace naturally seems to carry uh, several different meanings with it. First of all, we can define peace as the absence of noise. And most of our parents know at least, whether they know that peace, they at least want that peace, right? The absence of, uh, of noise. Uh, a comedian once said that parents don't want justice, they want quiet. Right? I think there's some truth to that. Two kids come in fighting over whose toy is what. We don't really care whose toy is what. We just want them to stop fighting and yelling about it, right? And so the, uh, the absence of, of uh, noise could be peace. And uh, has anyone ever wanted to get away for some peace and quiet? Go down to the lake, go down to go, go wherever, just get away and have some peace and quiet. So that's one definition of peace. Another definition of peace could be the absence of war. And in different parts of the world, people are not as concerned with having quiet uh, as they are with being safe. To them, peace means a ceasefire deliverance from the constant fighting that goes on around them. And then we could also define peace as the absence of trouble. To many, when we talk about peace, they dream of a time with no more trials and no more tears, that 
There's going to be no struggles, no hard times, everything's, there's always going to be enough money, there's always going to be good health, there's always going to be uh, great times at work or at home or wherever it may be. That's, that's sometimes uh, the idea of peace that we get in our minds. That we all dream of kind of a utopian reality where everything is simple and we all get along. But understand that's a fantasy land, that's a fantasy world, and we're probably never going to see peace like that until... Uh, Christ comes. But none of these are the kind of peace that we're dealing with here tonight. When we talk about having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that peace that we're talking about is biblical peace, is God's peace. And I want to discuss what that is or what that might look like for just a second. God's peace is quite different from the world's peace. And there is a story of uh, two artists Uh, two painters who were each asked to paint a picture of peace. So the first artist made a portrait of a lake with sunlight glistening across the top of the water. In the distance, you can see a shepherd had approached the lake with a sheep for a refreshing drink, and the birds were resting in the nearby trees. And in his mind, as he looked at that landscape and just the calm that was going on there, that's how he pictured peace, and thus was his painting. That sounds pretty peaceful, doesn't it? I kind of like to be there. It's kind of retracted away from everything, away from, from all the noise and the rushing and the hurrying and just have that kind of peace. But the second painter had a different idea in mind. His painting also had water and trees, but instead of a bright and sunny landscape, he painted a sky that was pitch black. Lightning shot through the air, a fierce wind stirred the waves of the sea, and the trees bent under the force of a terrible storm. Everything was in chaos, but when you looked at it a little more closely, near the edge of this horrific scene, a faint light rested on a rock where a single bird was perched, singing its beautiful song in the midst of all the ugliness around it. And he stepped back from that painting and he said, that's what peace is. You know, I think in our lives, when we talk about biblical peace, when we talk about God's peace, it's going to look more like the second painting than it will ever look like the first painting. That biblical peace or godly peace is not just everything being stilled around you, but it's even when everything is falling apart, when the money isn't right, and the things at home aren't always great, and there's tension at the job, and there's problems going on with the world, and it seems like everything is in shambles, that even in the midst of all the things that could go on, of all the trials that could come about, that you are sitting there singing praises to God, calm and still, even in the midst of all the trouble going on. I think that's more what God's peace looks like. Real peace is not the ability to be calm when everything around you is calm. Anybody can do that. But it's having an inner calm and assurance even when everything around you is in chaos. And that's God's incredible, unexplainable peace. I want you to keep your place where you are in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, the very next book is Philippians. I just want you to turn with me very quickly over to chapter 4. And I want you to look at verses 6 and 7. And uh, Brother shared a, a scripture from uh, 1 Timothy 1.9. Is that what it was? 1.7. 1.7. 
and uh, shared that about you know the, the fact that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And you all know I've shared with this this with you in times past, but there was a time when um, when my life, when Satan was using anxiety, depression, worry, all those things crippling me and my ability to uh, to do just about anything. And I remember that these verses came to me. I won't go through uh, the whole story there, but I do remember that a time when I was just about ready to give up. That the very next morning, I, uh, I opened up my Bible, and this was my reading, Philippians chapter 4, look at verses 6 through 7. It says, be careful, or let me change the word there, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but everything that comes in your life, you go straight to God with it. And this is what he says will happen when you do that. Now, if you don't do that, then you'll just keep on with whatever's happening in your life. You'll keep flopping back around and to and fro and not really sure where to stand or what to do. But he says, if you will take everything, let every request remain on to God. Then he says in verse 7, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. It says it will keep or protect, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul didn't say, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. Paul didn't say, don't worry, all your problems are going to go away. Paul said, even in the midst of everything that's going on, don't be anxious. Take it to God. And when you do, the peace that only He can give, peace that passes all comprehension, all understanding, will wrap around your hearts and mind, guards you, even through the midst of the most terrible trials you can imagine. Amen. That's God's peace. I want to talk for a second what it means to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Just for a moment, calling attention for a second to the, uh, the Roman soldiers, they did wear shoes that were called, and I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly, but something like Caliga or Caliga or I don't know. Um, I don't speak Latin, but something like that they were called. And if you don't know how it's pronounced, I can say it any way I want to, right? <laughs> and basically what these were were sandals that remind us of football cleats today. Uh, they were studded with hobnails to provide them a, a firm stance. So imagine just uh, kind of a heavy-duty sandal, but then uh, into the bottom or the soles of those sandals, uh, they had driven nails through, and so they acted like cleats. And when you were walking, uh, or when a soldier was walking on slippery ground, of course he was able to gain traction, or when he was fighting and someone was pressing against him or pushing against that shield, he was able to dig those feet and, or those cleats into the ground there and able to stand firm against whatever opposition uh, came his way. Now Paul says to make sure that we have a sure footing against Satan's attacks. And he says that sure footing, that ability to stand and gain traction and push back to stand your ground is found in God's peace. 
Now, it may sound a little confusing, but the emphasis here is on the word peace. It kind of throws out a, a, a long phrase there. It says the preparation of the gospel of peace. But I want you to see that the emphasis is on the peace in this sentence. Now, he says that we are to stand firm with a mind that is prepared by the message and assurance of peace that is found where? In the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that mean to me? That means to me that number one, I know when those struggles come. I, I know when I'm having problems with people, or I'm having problems here or problems there. When these things are stirred up, first of all, from, from our text in Ephesians chapter 6, I know that my real battle is not with what I can see. My real battle is with the one who's stirring everything up behind the scenes there. Satan desperately, it seems, wants to make us feel as though there's no hope. That there's no victory. That there's no way through. There's no winning. It's hopeless. We're helpless. There's nothing that can be done. That's how he wants to make us feel. That we're trash, we're garbage, useless. Loves to throw those things that you do that you don't want anybody else to know about right in your face and say, how can you, how can God use you? You see what the preparation of the gospel of peace means to me is that in the midst of whatever's going on, whether he's attacking the truth with his lies, whether he's attacking my righteousness with temptations, or whether he's attacking my peace by bringing all this turmoil around me, what that tells me is that when I remember what Christ did at the cross, when I remember that he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. It's completed. It's done. That he didn't just injure Satan, but that he crushed his head at the cross. What that tells me is that no matter what Satan may bring up, that at the end of the day, I'm already a conqueror. I've already gained the victory. Not through my efforts and not through my goodness, but through Jesus Christ. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not a loser. I'm not a failure. I'm not useless. There is hope. Because I know who stands with me. Right? And that's the peace I think that he's talking about there. When he talks about putting on those shoes of peace. The preparation of the gospel of peace is knowing through the gospel, knowing through what Christ has done, what He has accomplished in the victorious life that He has given us through His Spirit, knowing that I'm able to stand in that and have peace in even the hardest of times. It says, put on the shoes of peace. i make one more note about putting those shoes on. He doesn't say, get up every morning and put them on. He says, put them on. I think it carries the idea of keeping them on. 
Like I said in the previous message, Roman soldiers, when they were fighting their enemies, their enemies went to sleep eventually. Our enemy doesn't. We've got to keep that armor on at all times. Always be stationed. Always be standing firm and planted in the peace that passes understanding. Listen, the lies of Satan will tell me that all is lost. But the gospel of peace tells me that Jesus wins. And not only that Jesus will win, but that He has won. At the cross, He crushed the head of the serpent. Satan is dangerous. As we talked about this morning, He is dangerous, but He's defeated. And I want to talk about, just for a moment, about wearing those shoes of peace. The word shod in our verse 15 of uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse 15, it says, Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the word shod there just means to put on or tie on. And that's how they would put their sandals on. They would slip their foot in, and then there was a leather strap they would tie around their foot in some way. And, and that's what it means to have your feet shod, to, uh, to strap on or put on those sandals or those shoes of peace. Uh, it means that we allow our hearts to be constantly steadied by God's peace. I want to bring you to a verse just very quickly. Now, you're in Ephesians. Uh, we went to Philippians. I want you to go past Philippians to Colossians and to chapter 3 of the book of Colossians in verse 15. And Paul says something wonderful there. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. Notice this. He says, And let the peace of God do what? Rule your hearts. To the which also you're called in one body and be you thankful. I want to look at that first phrase there. He says, let the peace of God rule your hearts. Rule means to judge or to control. And I even read somewhere where it says it means to umpire. That the peace of God begins calling the shots in your heart and lives. That the peace of God begins calling the shots in your thought life, in your emotions, in your desires. That all the way around, God's peace begins to rule and have authority in your life. In other words, God's peace needs to have full control over your heart, your mind, your will, and emotions. I want to ask you a question tonight. You don't have to raise your hand here. But how many of us have made terrible decisions... Out of fear, out of frustration, out of anger, or sadness. There are times, and by the way, I don't know how you feel about me. Sometimes I feel like people don't like me very much when they're going through problems like this. Because I, think, I say little things like this. When people are keyed up, when they're emotional, when they're angry... When they're scared, when they're sad, when they're caught up in emotions, I tell them, please do not make any big decisions right now. Not in this state. Not the way that you're thinking right now. Please. And that's when people make the, their biggest decisions. They're either pressed by fear, it's they're in panic, I've got to do something, you know, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to fix this? And so they panic and they make these rash decisions and they turn out to be the absolute worst decisions that could have been made. 
people who have been doing wonderful jobs. And whatever they're doing, suddenly a crisis comes up. And they're angry, or they're sad, or whatever it may be. And, and they jump, and they say, I'm just going to quit, or I'll pull out, or do this, or do that. And I, I try to tell people, please, please, don't make any big decisions right here. Not right now. Wait until you've prayed about this for a little while. Wait until you've calmed down a little bit. I can't say that people always listen when that happens. And I can't say that I always practice what I preach. But I can tell you that we can either allow all of our decisions to be ruled by our emotions, by how we feel, by our logic, what we think, or our will, by what we desire. Paul says, let the peace of God help you make those decisions. Listen, there are going to be times where we are human and we're going to panic and we're going to get in those situations, but you need to wait until you're able to get calm. Until you're able to get back in that, that peace is able to overflood your heart again before you start making any of those decisions. Listen, when God's peace is in control of your heart, the circumstances that are around you no longer become a problem. It may seem like a problem, but when God's peace is in control of your heart, those circumstances, those situations aren't a problem anymore. Why? Because when God's peace is in control of your heart, then your heart knows that God is in control of that situation. When God's peace is in control of your heart, you're able to sit still. You're able to be calm. You're able to wait. Why? Because you know that God's in control of the situation and not you. You see, when we panic, it's because we think that somehow we're in control of what's going on. We've got to figure out what to do. But when you know God's in control, you're able to be calm. To sit still and wait on Him. Because you know this is out of your hands. But it, that it's in God's hands. And he knows what to do. And He can actually take care of the situation. Jesus said something beautiful in John chapter 14. I want you to go ahead and turn with me there. Uh, we're going to look at this verse just one more, uh, not far from there in, in John chapter 16. But let's turn first to John chapter 14. And I want you to look at verse 27 and what Jesus says here. John 14 and verse 27. He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now you think, you know, I think we could actually read that verse almost flipped around backwards. We could say this, let not your heart be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why? Because I have left and I have given my peace to you. I don't give you peace like the world gives you. I give you my peace. Notice here that Jesus makes a distinction between His peace 
and the world's peace. And in John chapter 16 and verse 33, you'll flip over there with me just very quickly. John 16 and verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have what? Peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Don't you think that second painting gives a clearer picture of what biblical peace is? Jesus didn't say when you get saved, everything's going to be fine. When you get saved, everything's going to be easy. When you get saved, that nothing bad is ever going to happen. He says in verse 33 that in the world you will have tribulation. You will go through hard times. He says, but be of what? Good cheer. I have overcome the world. It says in 33, I've spoken these things to you that you might have peace. A young boy was a passenger flying on an airplane through a terrible storm. The turbulence was causing the passengers to panic. However, the young boy was not afraid. One of the passengers next to the boy turned and asked, How can you be so calm in the middle of all this? The young boy replied, My father is the pilot. See, he knew who was in control. When we know that God is in control, we're able to remain at peace even in the fiercest of storms. I want to tell you tonight that Satan is going to come at you in a number of ways. He'll use deceit and lies, so we must wear the belt of truth. He'll use temptations, and so we must wear the breastplate of righteousness. He'll create chaos in your life to the point that it feels like everything is falling apart and everything's out of control. For that, you must put on the shoes of his peace. We must stand against Satan in truth. We must stand against him in righteousness. And we must stand against him in peace. And I want to say to you tonight that I really don't, and I can't, I couldn't possibly know all that you're going through. I couldn't know the troubles that you may be facing, the discouragement that may be trying to take over your life. I couldn't possibly know that. But what I do know is this. Regardless of what it is, regardless of what's going on, regardless of how bad it seems, I know this. That God knew it was coming before you did. You were in God's hands before it got there. And I know that He's in control. And you can have peace right in the middle of everything that's going on in your life right now. But it's only found in God. I, um, I heard a saying not too long ago. I've shared it before. But I really like it. And sometimes I just repeat that to myself. But it says sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage and calms his child. 
you need to know that God's not always going to tell every storm to be still. Sometimes He will whisper it to you, even in the middle of everything that's going on. And I think that's what this was talking about tonight. It says to stand, to be firm, in peace, gospel peace.